0: Without a doubt, it is good for us to be here tonight to sing about the new song, the hope that we have to one day be in heaven. And as we said in the second verse of that song, to join with the angels. And with the angels, I'll belong. And with the angels, we'll spend our eternity. And I appreciate our brother Sam picking out the songs tonight because uh, our song leaders are quite often... Uh, contacting david and myself asking what are we going to be preaching about and sometimes we throw them curveballs to make it a little bit more challenging to find songs and when we're dealing with the subject of angels sometimes it's a little bit difficult to find songs but certainly tonight's were very appropriate and always our song leaders do a nice job we appreciate them their efforts invite you to open your bibles if you'd like to to the book of Uh, Genesis chapter 16, where we're going to make our first major reference together tonight in our study of angels. And while you're opening there to Genesis chapter 16, as was mentioned at the outset of our services by Brother Eric, we are very thankful for those of you that are visiting with us. And we have, over the course of the last four, five, six months, been engaged in a study of angels trying to understand them a little bit more uh, wholly and appropriately and completely. And we have talked about the messages of angels. We've talked about the roles that angels played. Last month, you may recall, we talked about how Satan fits into that puzzle and does he fit into that puzzle. And we uh, had some subjectivity with that particular sermon because there are some unanswered questions on the subject. And the same will be true tonight when we deal with this subject of the angel of the Lord. And the title is very important because the word the is different than the word "an" or the word a. There are definitive articles and then there are non-definitive articles. And this is certainly an important one when we're talking about the angel of the Lord. Now, the fact that we're talking about the angel of the Lord may already give you a uh, a direction that we're going to go tonight and the conclusion that i'm going to come to but we'll look at that in the course of our study together thankful for all the members who do different things brother david pointed out this morning how so many members are doing so many good things often behind the scenes and our deacons uh, which we've prayed for and thanked god for continually do so much good work uh there's a certain brightness to our preaching today david and i's preaching, right? And we appreciate the fact that it's not just because we're so bright, though we are, uh, but our deacons and others have done well in fixing the projectors and making them a little bit better. And we would certainly be able to preach without them. I think we can remember how to do that. Uh, But it's nice to have that as a visual aid. And so I appreciate those who behind the scenes worked tirelessly over the last few days to make sure that the broken projector is now not broken, it has been retired. There will be a memorial service for it later as we bury it and put it to rest. But we're thankful that you're here tonight. I want to start with some questions. Brother David started with some questions this morning, and so I thought we would start with some questions tonight. And that is, number one, three, three questions. Number one, why does a study of the angel of the Lord matter? And, of course, that lends itself to the conclusion that we are kind of already drawing, and that is there's a difference between the angel of the Lord and angels of the Lord. As I have said throughout this entire series, now this is number six in this series, and we'll, Lord willing, have, I believe, eight in our, our on our series that'll take us into September. There are certain things you may disagree with me about, and that's okay. I don't have all the answers. I do have the Bible, which has all the answers, but there are some Uh, things that are shrouded in a little bit of mystery. And when it comes to Satan, there's some mystery to him, as we talked about back in June. And now here we are, over halfway through the year, talking about the angel of the Lord. And so we're going to ask the second question is who he was, who he is, and what his purposes were. And then we're going to just take an exploration Uh, through the old testament mostly though we'll make reference to the new testament where is the angel of the lord found in scripture and i think by answering those three questions which is the basis of our study it will help us to understand how this fits into the the broader context of our series on angels that we've been engaged in now for the last few months and so Usually we look at the points that we are going to explore and the things that we're going to try to figure out in a correct order. And so you would think that there are three questions and that we would deal with those three questions in that particular order. But as I was thinking about this particular study, it seemed to me that it was helpful to look at them in reverse. And so for those of you that are note takers or who visualize where the sermon is going to go, we're going backwards tonight. We're going to start with question three, then we're going to go to question two, and then we're going to finally deal with why does the study of the angel of the Lord actually matter. So let us start with the angel of the Lord and how he appears in scripture and the frequency with which he appears in scripture because most of us are reading from the new king james version the new american standard the english standard version uh those are the three probably most popular versions that we are using as a congregation you may be using the niv or the king james version or another version that is out there and that certainly is appropriate from time to time But depending on the version that you're reading from, the concept of the angel of the Lord where the definitive article the is used before angel is found some 50 times in scripture, give or take, depending on the version from which you are reading. Now, this will give you a point that we're going to come back to later in our study together tonight, and that is all of them are found in the Old Testament. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute, I think there's a reference to it in the New Testament. And bonus points to the person that can correctly identify where that is. And your mind is racing now to certain places in the book of Acts where Old Testament references are made at great length. And you are correct to think about Acts chapter 7 because there is one actual New Testament reference. However, the New Testament reference is in the sermon that Stephen preaches when he's reflecting back on a past time. So this is an important point to kind of catalog and to we're going to bring back in about 15 or 20 minutes towards the end of our study that the that the reference to the angel of the Lord seems to be an Old Testament concept. Angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, seems to be an Old Testament concept. Doesn't mean that he doesn't play a role in the New Testament, because I would submit that he plays a major role in the New Testament. But I think it's important for us to understand that there is a difference between angel of the Lord as opposed to the angel of the Lord. We could go through all 50 instances, uh, but we'd be here an awful long time tonight, and emphasis on the word awful, because that would be rough. But I do want to go through a half a dozen instances, and we'll spend maybe two to four minutes on each of these six references, make a couple of observations about them, but we're going to pretty much let the, the text speak for itself before we draw some conclusions near the second half of our study. And the first of those is here in Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse 5. This is a text that you may or may not be familiar with. It's uh, not an obscure text because there's no text that is really obscure, especially to students of the Bible who appreciate all of its contents as being inspired. But it is in a section that is not as well-tread as Genesis 12 or Genesis 22 or certainly the first three or four chapters of Genesis And in chapter 16 and verse 5, the context here is about Hagar, Ishmael, Abram, Sarai, and these various characters who are now involved in a kind of a uh, challenging situation. And it says in verse 5 that Sarai said, My wrong be upon you, Abram. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes the lord judge between you and me so this is the famous or infamous or unfortunate scene that involved ishmael's birth and now that ishmael is the child of abram there's jealousy and envy and discomfort and all kinds of different emotions that are happening here between abram and his wife sarai And so Abram says, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you want, as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Then in verse 7, one of the first instances of the angel of the Lord is, and in my Bible, uh, as in many of your versions, the word angel is capitalized. You'll notice that as well. Now, There's a difference between capitalization in Hebrew versus there is in English, and I understand that concept. But I do think that there probably is some appropriateness to the capitalization of the word angel to at least, if nothing else, get our attention. But it says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And the angel said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for the multitude. And the angel of the Lord said, Behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son. Call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. If you want to read the rest of that story, you can do so by reading the final five or six verses of chapter 16. What I want you to notice out of this text is that, first of all, this is one of the first references to the subject of the angel of the Lord. I want you to also note that when the angel speaks, He speaks with incredible authority. In fact, there's a difference between the word the angel and then a few lines down in your Bible, depending on how wide your margins are. He says, I say unto you. So what you see here is that the angel speaks with the authority of God. Now that makes sense, given our first and second lessons back in January and February, where we said the angels were dispatched to be messengers of god they speak with his authority but in my opinion which is not worth a lot oftentimes but i think it's worth at least looking at here for the point of the the direction that we're going there's a greater authority with which this angel speaks than which than with which angels in general speak more on that as we develop other references to angel of lord seem to indicate an angel as opposed to the angel. Now that being said. Note that Hagar recognized that God was speaking. So the angel is speaking. And Hagar seems to say. Well this is an, indeed a fantastic occasion. In fact if you read on to verse 13. She called the name of the place. The Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. And, of course, you probably have a end note or a marginal note where it gives you the Hebrew rendition, as mine does here, there in verse 13. Therefore, the well was called Be'er, Lahai, Roy. Observe it. And this is an important place where the angel of the Lord appeared, and Hagar said, The Lord God who sees me. So just kind of put a little... Thought cloud in your mind and let that just hover there for a moment so we can enter a second passage and a second heart cloud or air cloud. And that is Genesis 21 and verses 14 through 21. We're not going to read all eight of these verses. Uh, This is another occasion where we have Hagar and Ishmael making a repeat appearance. And it's interesting to me that Hagar, an Egyptian, is at the center of the angel's appearance yet again. So think about this for a moment. And this, the, the more I've studied this, the more fascinated I've become with this. The first two instances of the angel of the Lord are to people who are not God's people, in big quotation marks. Maybe there's something to be said for that. Maybe there's something to think about there. All right. So hopefully you're thinking the way that I'm thinking. Not that I, not the way that I think is always right. But I think we're going to think well together tonight. Well, look, if you would, and we'll just briefly breeze through a couple of these verses here. Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water. Putting it on her shoulder, he gave it in the, to the boy Hagar and sent her away. She departed and wandered in the wilderness. Then... Verse 17, God heard the voice of the lad. The angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then, verse 19, it says, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. Now, it's possible that you have an angel here, because I, in, in my Bible, it's not capitalized, which is not capitalized in your Bible as well, most likely, that you have an angel making an appearance. But the thing that strikes me is that the angel does not open her eyes, but God opens her eyes. More about that as we continue with our thinking clouds that are now growing around our head. Number three is Genesis 22. While you're open there to Genesis 21 or just a page over, you find where uh, another account. This time we are very familiar with this story. This is Abraham who's having his his faith tested uh, in an incredible and uh, very uh, memorable way. And it says here in about verse 9, it says, came to the place where God had told him, Abraham built an altar for the purpose of sacrificing his son. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, it seems to me that sometimes the most familiar texts of the bible are the ones that not only the were the most familiar with but the ones that we sometimes might miss a little bit of the details that are otherwise important to notice notice what the angel does the angel speaks that makes perfect sense given the fact that angels were messengers we know that angels spoke all the time uh, as we've seen in the course of the last five or six months together But notice also that the angel speaks of a sacrifice for himself or a sacrifice for God. And he says, do not lay your hand on the lad. This is the angel speaking. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son. Notice the last two words that jump out to me is the words from me. Just kind of put that in your brain for a moment. Number four, your brain's getting crowded now. Some of us, it gets crowded a little bit easier than others. But Genesis chapter 32, you'll notice we're spending a lot of time in Genesis tonight. And I made some references to these about a year and a half ago or two years ago when I was studying the book of Genesis with you all. But in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 22, I do want to read five or six verses here. We'll read them very rapidly. You're probably familiar with the greatest wrestling match ever in history that was never on television and that was here in Genesis chapter 32 he arose that night took his two wives two female servants his 11 sons and crossed over the ford to Jabbok he took them sent them over the brook and sent over what he had Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day When he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. The socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He said, let me go for the day breaks. But he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So much to be said about that. That's beyond the scope of our study together tonight. Then in verse 27, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. He says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. That's verse 28. He says in verse 29, tell me, what is your name? He says, why do you ask me what my name is? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Now, Moses uses a term man. And in my Bible, as like many of yours, the man is capitalized, right? And if yours isn't, that doesn't mean yours is wrong and mine is right, it's just depending on the, the the editing of this particular version that you're using. We're not going to take the time to venture over to the book of Hosea because we would take more time than what we are having. But if you want to jot down Hosea chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, you'll read about this recounted. And Hosea does not use the term a man with whom Jacob wrestled. But he says he wrestled with an angel. So Either Hosea didn't get the memo from Moses and they got it wrong by way of somehow a miscommunication of the Holy Spirit. Or they're both talking about the same thing and they're using different names to identify the same person. Jacob looked at the experience even in maybe a third way. And he says, I have had an encounter with God, which is why he calls it that place, Peniel. Well, let's go over to the book of Exodus here and look at two more passages here very quickly. And it makes sense that we're looking in the Old Testament because you're not going to find references to the angel of the Lord by name in the New Testament save for the historical reference in Acts chapter 7 and in verse 30. But let's go to Exodus chapter 3. We're not going to reread those three verses because our good brother already read it for us a few moments ago. Moses is addressed by whom? The angel. Here is the angel of the Lord making an appearance yet again at the burning bush. And then God speaks to Moses and identifies himself as the eternal one. So you have, it seems to me, one of two possibilities, maybe maybe two and a half possibilities, but two major possibilities here. One is you have an angel and then God comes in and speaks. Or you have the angel speaking, and then God is speaking, and somehow they are related to one another in a way that is more than just an agent of God. So let that kind of stew in your brain for a couple of moments. And then we'll go to our sixth and our final passage, which is in the book of Exodus, chapter 23. Exodus 23, beginning in verse 20. This is a text that is not as familiar as, certainly, Exodus chapter 3. But in Exodus 23, in verse 20, it says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him. Obey his voice. Don't provoke him. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if indeed you obey his voice and do all that I speak, this is Exodus 23, 22, Then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hibites, the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor shall you serve them, nor do according to their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God. He will bless your bread and water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. The thing that I wanted you to kind of notice the most there is in verse 21. He will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. The command is to fear and to obey the angel, given the phrase that my name is in him. And then the third aspect of this angel that jumped out to me and that I thought was interesting to point out is he has the power to forgive sin. And who has power to forgive sin? Without any any hesitation, we would all say the Lord. The Lord God has that that power. And he has the power to, to grant us a home in heaven to sing the new song. And he has the power, as Jesus says, to cast us into hell. So... With all those different things in your mind, hopefully you're not more confused, but hopefully you are thinking. And maybe you're thinking about things that you studied before, and some of you have been very gracious to share with me that you have uh, learned some things through this series, and I hope that that may be the case tonight as we deal with question number two, the middle question, and that is who is the angel? You know, as with much of the study of angels, I, I'm not going to be dogmatic. Number one, um, you know me well enough by now after a few years, that's not my style. And number two, I honestly don't have all the answers. We have quoted from Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine multiple times where it says that the secret things belong to the Lord. And there is something to be said for the fact that we may not have every answer. And you and I may not agree on every aspect of this sermon tonight. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're wrong and that I'm right and that we have to go to war with each other. But let me share with you three major theories that are out there. And we'll land on the third and the final as being the one that at least seems to me to make the most sense. One of those theories as to who the angel of the Lord is, is that he is a special angel. And I put that uh, in capital letters, commissioned for special purposes. And there are other angels that are commissioned for special purposes. We talked about the identity of the archangel. We've made reference to Daniel chapter 12, for example, and other places where it talks about a specific angel. And there may be the occasions uh, in scriptural history uh, and in non-scriptural history wherein God has chosen to use an angel for a special purpose. You can make the argument that every angel is special and that every angel has a special purpose, whatever it was for that particular angel. But that's the end of the story. That's the extent of his identity. There seems to me that there are some significant problems with this being the explanation. And I put the in all big capital letters because to say that, well, it's just just another angel, to me causes more questions than it does answers. Now, if you take that view, again, that doesn't mean that you're wrong and that I'm right. But let me suggest to you just two or three things here. And I want to look at two passages here uh, that we haven't looked at yet. One in the Old Testament, and some of you are are yearning for Joshua chapter 5. We're going to get there in just a moment. But one New Testament passage as well. One of those things that we need to ponder is that the angel acts like God on more than one occasion. With the power to forgive and powers that belong only to God. Going back to Exodus 23 he will forgive you or he will not forgive you is a very divine concept, not an angelic one, it seems to me. Let me share with you this thing that really jumped out to me when I first started studying this, and that is the angel on one particular occasion, depending on the version that you're reading from, and there may be some ambiguity associated with this, but I don't think there's much, is worshiped as God. Go back to the book of Joshua chapter 5, and I want to read just three or four verses here in the book of Joshua chapter 5. The book of Joshua is 24 chapters. Uh, it's, a, it's a book that makes easy to read over the course of a year. Just read two chapters a month, and you'll certainly accomplish it. But in Genesis, or in Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, notice what is written. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Are you friend or foe is what he's asking here. He says, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell on his face to the earth, And worshipped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? Did you notice that he says, what does my commander? what What do you as Mr. Smith? No, he says, what do you as Lord say to me, his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot. For the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. We've heard that before, right? Remember back in Exodus chapter 3? Do you see here that Joshua has now bowed down, fallen before someone, but the reference then switches over to verse 14 where he says he worshipped. He says, what does the Lord my servant say? The man doesn't say, well, I'm not the Lord. Why are you worshipping me? He, says, he just goes on with the conversation acknowledging the fact that he was the Lord, that he was Jehovah. Now, compare this to Revelation chapter 19, which we won't take the time to read the first 8 to 10 verses, but you remember what happens in Revelation chapter 19? There was this scene where a man falls down, and, well, let's just go over there and, and just read a couple of verses here. We won't read all 10 verses, but just to give you a little bit of the flavor here, and you can read the rest of it on your own time here. In verse 9, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb and said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Now, this is a loud voice that is speaking. Uh, Going back to verse 1, you have reference to the 24 elders and the four creatures who fell down and worshipped in verse 4. And a voice in verse 5 said, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear Him, both great and small. Then in verse 10, I... Seemingly John here, right, the author of the book of Revelation, the one who's revealing it, I fell at his feet to worship him. And I don't know that I would fault John for that. I mean, yeah, we're going to fault him for it because of what's going to happen in the second part of the verse. But if you were in that position, you'd do the same thing. So would I. In a heavenly scene like that, where you just heard these great praises to God, the first person you see, I'll worship you. (laughs) I mean, you're just that amazed, and what is the response? See that you do not do that! Exclamation mark. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So in Joshua chapter 5, you have a man, we'll put that in air quotes, is worshipped. In Revelation chapter 19, you have a man, in quotes, That is worshiped. In Joshua chapter 5, the man says, Okay, I'll take it. It's okay. In Revelation chapter 19, you hear the man say, It's not okay. So you have obviously two different men with two different appraisals, with two different perspectives, because they're not the same. We'll conclude there in just a moment. Well, that seems to me that the angel is more than just a mere particular special angel. Which brings us to a second word, and this is going to give me a chance to sound smart, which doesn't happen very often. And that is a temporary appearance of God in some sort of an alternative form, what theologians and very smart people would call a theophany. We know that the word theo there is the idea of Anything that has to do with the Lord, with God, with religion, with that which is a representation of God. It's more than just a representation of God. But I would call that, in many ways, what all the angels do in some way. They make appearances on God's behalf. Rather, it's a manifestation of God. And interestingly enough, the manifestation of God starts with the same three letters, and I don't think that's by chance, man, because the man of God, the angel of the Lord, is more than just an angel with a particular specific purpose and more than just an angel in some brief form appearing in godly appearance. But rather, it seems to me That when we ask who the angel of the Lord is, that the theory leaves the reader wanting, and rightly so, for something more. And that is the third concept, and that is the appearance of a Christ, or I'm sorry, the appearance of the Christ in some sort of pre-human form. Now, this is commonly referred to as the Logos theory. That's another fancy word that goes back to the Greek But Logos is the word for word, and it takes us to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was made manifest, or the word tabernacled with us. That's chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, in about 10 seconds. You can read the first dozen to 14 verses of John chapter 1 in your own time. Now, this makes sense, given the attributes of God, that the angel of the lord is consistently associated with Now, it seems to me that this also makes sense as we draw our conclusions toward the end of our study, in the sense that Malachi chapter 3 says that Jesus is what? He is not a messenger of God, but he is the messenger of God. So, how do I explain this? I can't fully I can't comprehend this. Comprehending this fully is kind of like comprehending eternity. How long will eternity be? Well, it's going to be 13.7 trillion years and then a bunch more. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense to us because we don't have the capacity to understand these things. Notice also the thing that I said we'd come back to 15 to 20 minutes later, and that is the angel of the Lord no longer appears after Jesus Christ. So either he just went away or he didn't go away and so in many ways to say that the angel of the lord is simply an old testament concept that is inaccurate but you understand what i mean when i say that in terms of references to the angel of the lord it's an old testament concept i would submit that the angel of the lord is more than just an angel not that an angel is is unimportant now Speaking of important and why it matters, let me conclude with why a study like this, it seems to me, matters. It matters because, of course, everything that God has to say is important. So when we talk about the angel of the Lord, we need to make sure that we have a chapter in our in our Bible study of, okay, well, what is that about? Is there something different there? Is there something to learn there? And there's always something to learn from biblical passages and biblical references. But let me conclude with four observations that can easily be made from this particular study as to why I think it matters as much as it does. Number one is the angel spoke to and comforted non-Jews. Do you ever think about if, if, if the angel is who we think he may be, then he was, even before Paul was the chosen vessel, even before Peter went to Cornelius, a non-traditional uh, recipient of the gospel message, even before Acts 9 rolls around, even before Acts 2 rolls around, even before Romans chapter 1, verse 16 rolls around, already you have Jesus potentially laying the groundwork for the idea that all men, regardless of your heritage, regardless of where you come from, can come to a relationship with God in heaven. Secondly, the angel was highly associated and highly involved in sacrifice. Now, you want to talk about things that can blow your mind or that make you think is, to me, Genesis 22. The angel of the Lord said, Stop it, for now I know that you you fear the Lord. If your mind goes where my mind goes, The irony there is that you may very well have the eternal one who would die for us stopping Abraham from going through the same torment that he himself would endure in a way far different in thousands of years in the future. To me, that's something just to think about. Even if you don't agree, it's something worth thinking about. Number three, let me suggest to you that the angel spoke that mankind should do great things. And I understand that's a role that all angels played, but this particular angel had this special role there in Exodus chapter 3. And as we said at the outset of our study, when we were first getting into the text in Exodus chapter 23, the angel has power to forgive and the power to condemn. As far as I know, there aren't other angels who have that power. Now, there are angels who come taking vengeance along with the Lord. We know that, but it's the Lord who takes vengeance. It's the Lord who's responsible for those things. Let me suggest to you that, and I put in italics, that are not all the key major distinguishing characteristics or attributes of the angels of the Lord, key distinguishing attributes of Jesus Christ, And it seems to me that I would submit, if nothing else, it's yet one more reason for us to be in awe of the power of God through Christ. Because even if you don't agree with me tonight, and I've tried to make it very clear that that's okay, the fact is, is Jesus Christ is indeed one who comforts all men. Jesus was highly involved in sacrifice because he was the sacrifice. Jesus spoke and said, do great things. And Jesus has the power to forgive and the power to condemn. Those are important things for us to be reminded of. And if nothing else, this sermon can focus us in thinking about Jesus doing those things. And that Jesus does those things. And Jesus will continue to do those things. I hope that this has been helpful to you. We are trying to understand angels better. And I hope that uh, as we continue through this series into August and September, Lord willing, that we'll be able to do so. We're going to talk about the relationship that angels had with Jesus himself. We're actually going to spend an entire uh, 35 minutes or so talking about guardian angels, Lord willing, a little bit later in this year. And I hope that this has been helpful to you. If you are not a child of God, that means that you are not a joint heir with Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17. Which means you don't have the comfort that comes from Jesus the Christ, as we just talked about. And the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ. And the sacrifice that he made is a sacrifice that was made not just for those who have already accepted him and been baptized, but for all men are willing to come to repentance indeed jesus says i do not want any should perish but that all men should come to repentance and that would include you and me and so if we can help you to become a christian tonight by being baptized we'd welcome that opportunity if we can help you to restore yourself and be restored in a faithful relationship with god himself we'd welcome that opportunity as well if we can help you or encourage you let us know while we stand and while we sing